From finance and commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. Above all, it's a show about what's next, creativity, and the innovation and technology that are changing how we work and shaping the future of business throughout our state. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers who may challenge the status quo, but also make their dreams a reality. I'm Joel Shetler, your host and editor of Finance and Commerce, Minnesota's oldest business newspaper and online publication. Thanks so much for joining me. I would also like to thank our podcast sponsor, Guarantee Commercial Title. Guarantee offers a new platform for the delivery of services based on the expertise and ingenuity of a visionary team of title professionals that identifies obstacles and creates solutions that result in a successful sale, construction, or financing of commercial real estate. To learn more, visit GuaranteeTitle.net. As the founder of the newly formed Minnesota Tribal Contractors Council, James Jones is an outspoken advocate for Native American contractors and tribally owned businesses in the construction trades. The nonprofit council, based in northern Minnesota, held its inaugural meeting in May. It offers networking opportunities, mentorship, job and safety training, transportation services, financial education, legislative advocacy, employment resources, and other services. Jones has a background in archaeological services. A member of the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe, Jones is the former Cultural Resources Director of the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council and current owner of Dirt Divers CRM, a provider of cultural resource management services. In the following interview, Jones speaks with reporter Brian Johnson about his own background and why he founded the Minnesota Tribal Contractors Council. He discusses the $2.9 billion Enbridge Line 3 replacement project and what it means for Native workers. I'm happy to be joined by uh, James Jones. Um, he is the um, leader of the Minnesota Tribal Contractors Council. And uh, James is a member of the Leech Lake Band of Ojibwe and former cultural resources director of the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council. Um, James, nice to, nice to see you today. Thanks for checking in. Thank you, Brian, for having me. Absolutely. Well, I was wondering if you could start off by just telling us a little bit more about the Minnesota Tribal Contractors Council. I understand it's it's a fairly new uh, nonprofit that you founded. Um, and uh, tell us a little bit about your mission and your reason for um, for starting this organization. Well, I started it uh, started an organization back in March. Um, I was just looking at uh, my filings and everything that I had to file with the state and with the IRS. And actually, I had to call the IRS just a little while ago just to, uh, because I couldn't read the tax ID number for the organization. But the goal was to start the Minnesota Tribal Contractors Council with regards to giving a voice to tribal businesses in northern Minnesota that may be involved and are currently involved with the construction um, of line three, but also what are the op future opportunities for these organizations and these tribal businesses and or tribal members and giving the opportunity once this job is complete, what else is there? Um, 
how do we get the word out that these organizations, these tribal businesses are there in the communities. Now there is a similar organization that's down in Twin Cities, but it's it's based in the metro area, you know, and not very often, if any, are outreach to these northern Minnesota businesses, you know. And so there was a to me there was a gap. And so I formed a Minnesota Tribal Contractors Council to fill that gap and fill that void, but also to start getting the word out that there are tribal businesses engaged in construction and related activities that are looking for work, are looking for future opportunities beyond line three, beyond other projects, whether it's in uh, highway construction, uh, general contracting, uh, general construction or specialty uh, companies such as Dirt Diver CRM, which is my personal company, that have created a niche or a business that's unique but is needed without throughout the state and other across the nation in some places. Mm-hmm. Who is the voice speaking on their behalf? And that's why I formed the Minnesota Tribal Contracted Council to be that voice for these other tribal businesses and even tribal members looking to gain employment in the trades industry and and to include the trades such as uh, whether it's the union, the laborers unions, uh, pipe fitters union. Uh, I had a young, uh, not a young man, but a, a friend of mine who I grew up with who told me last week when I ran into him that he just graduated with uh, cement masons um, apprentice program. And so he's looking for work locally or anywhere he can so that he can start getting his hours in to become a journeyman uh, cement person. Mm. Um, I actually hired him two days ago to come and do some concrete work for me. And I asked him, I said, if there's anything I can do to sign a document saying you worked five hours for me. Perfect. I'm happy to do that. Mm-hmm. But how do I get somebody like that who is a tribal member locally and get him recruited into another contractor that's doing cement work and is working with the Cement Masons Union? That's where the Minnesota Tribal Contractors Council comes into play. Um, mm-hmm. I just came from my local bank. Uh, my local <laughs> bank lobby is closed. I'm like, you guys closed your lobby again? And she said, real hesitantly, yeah, we had to. I'm like, oh, that's a bummer. It's because they didn't have somebody to, for employees. Mm. So again, that's where again, Minnesota Tribal Contractor Council is like, how do we help people look for placement, job placement? Mm-hmm. Look for wages that helps change their life. Mm-hmm. In the trades industry, we see that. We see the line three workers that are working at these higher wages. And that's a wage that can change your life and better your future mm-hmm. and get you out of debt and get you out of, you know, um, to move you ahead. And that's, again, if you can make a better life for your family, your community, you know, for your children, why wouldn't you keep doing that, you know? And so we have to be able to provide these opportunities and there has to be an organization that helps put the word out 
these businesses are here. They want to do the work. They can do the work. Let's help connect them. Okay. So you mentioned the Line 3 project. I know that hasn't been without controversy. Um, people have been concerned, of course, about environmental impacts and things like that. What is your position on that? The controversy or the environmental? Well, just in, in general, the environmental impacts and uh, what would you say to those who um, are opposed to that project? You know, and that's, um, people have a right to voice their opinion, no doubt. That's the great thing about living in in our state, living in, even in tribal, in Indian country, or this place we call Turtle Island, mm. which is our, our nation, um, the country. And before it was the United States, it was an indigenous land base. We cared for the land, we cared for the environment, you know? People have the right to voice their opinion as long as it's done respectfully in a good way, you know? But when you start destroying a contractor's uh, equipment or tearing down barriers that are set up for erosion control and sediment control or things of that nature that are different. Oh. It's kind of going against those traditional beliefs. You know? Yeah. People have the right to have the right to um, voice their opinion in a respectful manner. Now, the reason why line three is going around is that Leech Lake said, hey, we, we want that removed from our watershed. Yes, it's crossing other watersheds. It's crossing other barriers. Or not barriers. It's crossing other places that are just as important to Indian people, to Native people, you know, it crosses the Mississippi in a couple of places. Um, it transects the Mississippi, I think, in three different locations, I believe. Um, there was no other alternative other than to go underneath the Mississippi crossing, you know. Um, but there's other places where sites were avoided, environmental sites but also cultural sites. And you know, one of the first routes it was being proposed years ago was going between a watershed of two major wild rice beds right outside of the White Earth Reservation community. You know, Enbridge listened and moved that route outside of that watershed and went around it, you know. But not everyone agrees. There's a, people have uh, concerns about environmental impacts detrimental to the wild rice and or to the water, you know. Mm -hmm. But when we look at the current line three and the condition of that pipe and the condition of where it's at, that pipe has to be pulled out. It has to be replaced. Mm -hmm. Arguments are no, is that we don't even need that other line and that this is a new line and that they're going to pump more oil through this line and that it's not needed. Well, <laughs> when we still heat our homes, with, whether it's natural gas or fuel oil, um, 
we still drive vehicles that are powered by gasoline, there's always going to be a need. And if we look beyond what it is for gas, oil, heating, fuel, the other products that we use in our day-to-day -day lives, like the plastics and things of that nature, where does that come from? It comes from oil products. It comes from that necessity. Mm -hmm. If you look at turning off the valve and shutting off the oil, what's that going to do to the economy? What's it going to do to different regions of the United States, including regions of Minnesota? Look at what happened with uh, a cyber attack that took place on a refinery and their gasoline. What did that do? It shot the price of gas up like that. You just can't shut the power off and shut the valve off and expect the lights to stay on. You can't expect your car to keep running on gasoline when it doesn't have any. You know, there's always going to be a dependency. I look forward to the day that we can provide solar power and wind energy. But then we have to look at wind energy as well. You know, look at the uh, impact it has on migration, birds and wildlife the strikes that it takes out year after year. There are a number of people that go out and collect these birds underneath these big wind turbines in these wind farms and collect the migratory birds, including the raptors that get struck year after year, day after day by these big wind turbines because their migration routes where geese, ducks, and everything else fly and they're getting knocked out of the sky by these turbines, you know. Mm. We look at the we have to be realistic, you know. Mm. I'm concerned about the environment, just like any other tribal member, being a member of the Leech Lake Reservation. Um, I know that there's resources even within our own watershed. But I also know that the condition of that pipe and the way it is can't be left there. Mm -hmm. We have to look at its removal or its replacement. Mm -hmm. And so Leech Lake has said, remove it from Leech Lake. So now a line had to be, a new route had to be looked at. We looked at the cultural resources. We looked at the traditional use areas and looked at where would the least area be impacted by the new route and that's where the current line three goes through does everyone agree no will everyone agree no but it's the best route that has the minimum impact on those resources is it perfect maybe not but it's the best out there and when we look at the new pipe that's going in the thicker pipe the better coating, it's better than what's out there right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know I if we'll ever agree on these things. I'm sure we won't, but there's a you, you raise some interesting uh, points there. So, uh, I appreciate your weighing in on that. Um, I wonder if we could get back to um, you mentioned that you have your own uh, business. Is that that? Is that right? And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about 
your experience there, what you learned from that and um, kind of how that brought you to um, where you're in a position to uh, mentor uh, other people interested in the trades. It's funny because I just, I look back on, uh, I got started in my first pipeline work was in 1990 when I worked for the Minnesota Institute of Archaeology back in 1990. And we were looking at, uh, back then it was called Lakeland Pipeline Company. Mm -hmm. And I was hired as an archaeology technician to do archaeological field work in advance of a proposal route line that was being proposed. And so um, I first started working up by New Foland, Minnesota, north of Thief River. Mm -hmm. We actually stayed in Thief River back in 1990 doing archeological survey along the proposed route for Lakeland Pipeline Company back then. Um, I'm not sure which line that is today, you know, that's currently under Enbridge property, you know. Um, we came across Leech Lake. I remember coming back to Leech Lake in uh, the fall of that year in 1990 and working outside of my community here of Cass Lake and working on a project uh, just outside of Bina, Minnesota. Uh, we did survey work out in the upper UP of Michigan, looking at sites over there, mining sites, mm -hmm. sites where people were digging for, uh, for copper. Uh, historic sites that were where historic mining was taking place and then later working in uh, data recovery down near Saginaw Michigan for that same same route that same line mm -hmm. um, you know so getting involved and learning about doing the archaeology component you know I've come back full you know back now to I have my own archaeology firm a consulting firm uh, which is called Dirt Divers Culture Resource Management. I'm the owner of the company, and I'm reaching out and teaching people to identify the resources that are important to us, not only the archaeological resources, but the cultural resources, places like uh, maple sugaring stands, places where wild rice is growing, how to identify those resources. Things that your standard archaeological survey have missed or overlooked. And the reason why it was overlooked or missed is because archaeologists have not been trained to look for these resources in the way that indigenous people know about them. We grow up, it's in our communities, we're taught these resources. And if you practice these collection and gathering, you know, we're getting ready for our wild rice harvest here in and Leech Lake here. We have our uh, second meeting tomorrow night and already we're getting pressure to open the beds up right away here, you know, before storms or winds come in and take it, you know. Um, we'll have our meeting tomorrow night and I imagine we'll open beds as early as Friday, uh, definitely on Saturday, you know. So these resources are important, not just to the people of Leech Lake, but to our children, my grandchildren and my future generation but isn't it it's just as important to these other tribes as well mm -hmm. so providing a, a firm and being able to provide those services you know that's why i formed dirt divers culture resource management mm -hmm. uh you talked about having um i believe your first 
meeting of the the tribal contractors council was in in may is that right um june i think it was okay um at the launch meeting i understand that there were some um stories uh, you, you heard from folks who who shared their challenges as well as success stories i was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit uh what were some of the challenges that that were mentioned and also uh some of the uh some of the signs uh, of hope and success uh you are correct it was in may um it was at the end of may um the things that we talked about were employability how do we make sure that tribal members have that employability how do they have the resources available to them to get to and from the job site? What are the challenges that we are facing in, in tribal communities within our own communities? How do we get these businesses and these employees out to these locations and to these places that are in need of people? You know, it's not just the tribal communities, but when we look across the board, it's across, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. You go through the city of uh, Walker, Minnesota, and speaking with the mayor, I know the mayor of Walker. She's a friend of my wife's. They're lifelong friends. They grew up together. We ran into each other, and we're having we're having dinner. And she talked about every business in Walker is in search of employees. You look at every industry across the board, whether it's manufacturing. Um, house hospitality, um, food service, construction. There's a big gap out there for employment. There is not a place you can drive and not see a help wanted sign somewhere. You know, I gave the example of my own local bank, the lobby being closed because they don't have employees to keep both the drive-through and the lobby open. That's a need. And, but when we look at across it, we talked about that in the May introduction meeting. What are the challenges that we're seeing? Knowing them, knowing them myself. I was always told, you know, when I was looking at starting a business, oh, you got to have this, you got to have this management plan. You got to have your projections here. You got to have this, this, and this, you know. Um, I remember working with the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council. We had an Indian business loan program. Of all the years I worked there, you know, and in the beginning, we didn't have a person in the office managing that program. And the one that we did have, people come in, they talk about, hey, I got this goal or this dream. I want to do this and this and this, you know. I swear to God, by the time that person left, I thought they were going to go jump off a bridge, you know. And I remember joking with the business person that time. You got matter heck at me about that. And I fought back and I said, well, good God, you know, this person's dreams were way up there. They wanted to do this and this. And by the time they left here, after you threw this out there and this at them, it's like, well, I'm just being realistic. I said, so am I. Hmm. I said, I did this. And. I did it on my own. Mm -hmm. But if I would walked in and had people tell me, oh, you can't do this until you have your business plan. You, do you have your projections? 
You have your clients. You have this or that. You know, I was the exception to it. Mm -hmm. I was able to say, "Hey, um, I can be successful." And if there's obstacles and barriers, I learned early on and at a young age, go around them or go over them. Mm -hmm. I'm the one that makes this happen. And I remember my Indian Upward Bound mentor, counselor at the time saying, hey, you make it happen. Mm. And that's something that I took and wanted to incorporate it into the Minnesota Tribal Contractors Council. Mm. We make it happen. And in order to be successful, you have to overcome barriers. What are the barriers that we see in our own communities, our own tribal nations, but across the board, not just tribal, but across the board, it's everywhere. How do we make these people employable? How do we keep them employed? How do we give them the support? And in some cases, a second chance. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, that's why so those are the things we spoke about at the first meeting. Mm-hmm. And, and the question we asked of the businesses that were there, what is it that you go? What is it that you need? We need dependable people. We need people that are employed. We need people that have a good worth ethic and want to be there. You know, mm-hmm. uh, let's talk about some of our success stories, you know, I've seen people doing archaeology presentations at the schools. I've worked with tribal communities. And I've seen that spark that you ignite in somebody because they're fascinated by the work and what we're talking about and learning. How do we keep that person going? How do we keep that spark ignited within that young person to learn and want to continue working in this field and better themselves or better their life, you know? Mm. Yeah, there, there's, uh, it reminds me of of an article I wrote recently about uh, the the barriers that developers of color face here in the Twin Cities. And I'm sure it's probably the same up there in the Duluth area. Um, in the northern Minnesota, but you've got uh, systemic racism, lack of access to capital. Uh, they come from families typically that don't have a lot of wealth. And um, are you hearing from any developers up there who say, hey, I would like to be in the business of building housing, building uh, commercial development, whatever, but uh, just can't get over the finish line because of this or that barrier? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious if you're hearing any of those stories up there in your neck of the woods. It's funny. You know, I worked with a construction company years ago with my role with the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council, right? Mm-hmm. That construction company was so impressed by my son, who was, I think, 12, 14 years old at the time. And he said, hey, how old is that? How old is your son? He said. I told him, he goes, when that young man turns 18, tell him to come see me. I will give him a job. Mm. 
when my son turned 18, he goes, hey, dad, do you think that guy would, you know, meant what he said? I said, oh, oh yeah. I called him. I got put through to him. Hey, Jim, how's it going? I said, good. I said, hey, remember my son, Will? Oh, yes. I said, he's here with me. He said, hello. He said, do you you said you'd give him a job or give me a job because I'm a man of my word. He says, uh, have your son call me. He hooked him up. Uh, William was living in the Twin Cities and he went down there and met with him. And uh, true to his word, he put up, he employed him. Um, hooked him up with the trade union and he was working for that working for that company on company sites. Mm. So there are people out there. Um, there's construction companies that are reaching out and want to be part of the Minnesota Tribal Contractors Council. Um, I just read an article in today's paper, St. Louis. Is that your article that you wrote? No, we're, we're, uh, we're based in Minneapolis and uh, we have the, uh, we're, we cover construction and development in the Twin Cities area primarily, but uh, my article came out a couple months ago. But. Yeah, I read another one too. Um, that was about, uh, well, today's Star Tribune. Oh, yeah. In there. Mm-hmm. And then it makes a reference to an article about uh, uh, construction trades. Mm-hmm with uh, the same issues mm-hmm. uh, recruitment of indigenous and minority um, workers within the different trades you know mm-hmm. um, yeah I'm I'm fully aware that you know and again it's I've been focusing on like Minnesota northern Minnesota but this mm-hmm. is a need across the nation it's a need across the whole state not just Northern Minnesota, but in other areas. And when I was looking at the demographics in that report, even in the one today, you know, and you look down at the breakdown of people that being employed in these communities. Um, yeah. Is it good? We can do better. Yes. Mm. Is it the best? No. But what are the challenges that we have to overcome? What are the things that are holding us back? Those are things we talked about with the Minnesota Tribal Contractors Council. Mm-hmm. How do we start educating and training our people to be a resource for these organizations and companies that are in desperate need and need and want to have these people working with them? And not just in the trades, you know, let's start promoting them as well when they have an opportunity and the dedication and they show promise. That's how you see people. And when you get that spark in somebody's eye and they hang in with you after a certain time, you know, give them that promotion if they've earned it, you know. Don't over, don't overlook them and give it to somebody because it's a political or um, it's a relative or things of that nature, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, and we do that all too often. You know, yeah. And just like you're saying, whether it's racism, um, just there's a number of things out there. You know, we can beat that 
beat that up and down all day long. You know, we need to overcome that and start looking ahead. Mm-hmm. When, uh, what, what, what's, what's next for your, uh, organization? You said you have another meeting coming up here tomorrow and is that right? And uh, we have a meeting. No, next week. Next uh, week. Yeah. And that's going to be on the 24th of August. Uh, okay. It will be held in Duluth again. Mm -hmm. And that'll be our fourth meeting. And we'll probably take a break and then get reared up for a, a bigger two-day event in October. Okay, great. Well, Jim, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I really appreciate it. And good, good luck to, your, to you and your organization going forward. Thank you much, Brian. I appreciate the time and the opportunity. Culture Gigawabam in Manoa. And that means I'll see you again. Okay, great. Yeah, let's keep in touch. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe to Beyond the Skyline. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. To learn more about finance and commerce or to subscribe, go to our website, www.finance-commerce.com. I'm Joel Shetler, Editor of Finance and Commerce. Thank you again for listening to Beyond the Skyline.